today, uh, continuing on our series on our statement of faith, and our topic this morning is mankind. And um, let's see if I can do this, yes, there we go. Um, first of all, before I forget, I do want to acknowledge that I've uh, my use of material written by Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology book and John Sarfati of Creation Ministries. Um, but most of all, we're going to look at the Word of God. And uh, here's the paragraph that we're looking at today that is on our website, our Statement of Beliefs. I invite you to go through it, readview.org, and uh, you can find that. And this is a little series we're doing, a topical series. I'll just read this for you. Mankind was made in the image of God, yet every member of the human race is sinful due to our fallen state. And as a result, mankind incurs both physical death as well as spiritual death, which is separation from God. God created all human beings in his image, creating them as male and female. All people are valued members of the human family and should be treated with respect, grace, understanding, and love. And then the following is a paragraph we added in the past year. <clears throat> the fall into sin affects all areas of human life, including sexuality and relationships. We recognize that sin's distorting effect on creation causes some to experience conflict with their biological and genetic sex, and their perceived gender to experience such a conflict is not in itself to commit a sin, yet we affirm that gender is determined at conception and not by one's own identification, and that sex and gender are inextricably linked. And then on the website, you'll find a number of Bible texts. Now, for the sake of clarity today, I hope for the sake of clarity, we're not going to be reading just one passage from the Bible, but we're going to be looking at a number of topics. We're going to be looking at this notion of the fact that we're made in the image of God, and just what does that mean? We're going to think a little bit about the fall, and that's not part of the Four Seasons. It's uh, what happened a long time ago when sin entered the world. And then this notion of male and female, and also that all people are valued members of the human family and should be treated with respect, grace, understanding, and love. And also that God's image is restored in us through Christ. But before we continue on, let's just commit our time to God in prayer. Our blessed God and Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful we can look into it. And we're thankful for, these, for the many topics that we have in the Word of God and that make up our belief in you. And I, we just look for your help today as we uh, consider your idea of what mankind is. In our Savior's precious name, amen. So our first text is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. We read this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does it mean? Well, first of all, there's a basic assumption here that maybe not everybody has, but there is a God. <laughs> there are people who don't believe that anymore. 
There's a God, he's, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's uh, infinite, he's a personal God, and he exists. And that's one basic assumption we have when we come to the Bible. And the, the other one that I want to mention is that God uh, created us. God created us. He created Adam and Eve. And uh, in chapter 2 of Genesis, we read that the first man, Adam, and the second and the first woman, Eve, appear in Genesis as a special creation of God. Adam was made from the dust, Eve from Adam's rib. Both were made by God in the image of God. Therefore, we are not evolved animals or a mere agglomeration of chemicals, but beings with a spiritual or God-conscious nature. And there's no real place in the Bible for what some have called theistic evolution, that God oversaw the evolutionary process. We did not evolve from pond scum or apes. We're not here by chance over millions of years. God created man from the dust of the earth and not from animals. This is what we read in God's account in the first chapter of Genesis and the second chapter of Genesis. So it's, it's very clear. And then secondly, our God has given us an instruction manual. He created us. We thought about that last week. The Bible is more than an, than an instruction manual, but it's at least that. And we go to the Bible to find out how we are to live, how, what God has designed for us, and it tells us everything we need to know. As we learned last week, the Bible is not simply the accumulation of man's traditions or man's thoughts. Its origin is from God. It's a revelation from God. And uh, Jonathan talked to us about that last week. And so we allow the Bible to interpret reality for us. We don't uh, <clears throat> take our ideas to the Bible and try to twist the Bible to what we think. We let the Bible interpret the reality of the world around us. And so man, made in God's image, means that we are like God in some ways, and we represent God. There's only one creature that is made in the image of God, and that is man. And the, uh, the Hebrew word apparently for image and for likeness refers to something that is similar, but not identical. It's not identical to the thing it represents. It's an image of it. So we're similar to God in many ways. We're, sim we're similar in what we have termed God's communicable attributes. There are some things that were similar to God, such as reason, love, will, or discernment, morality, language. We're people. We have a choice. We're persons. But we're not identical since we are creatures, so we could never share God's incommunicable attributes such as omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, or self-existence. We're never going to know everything. We're never going to um, be all-powerful as much as we might like to be. Those characteristics belong to God. And so we represent God, though, in a certain fashion. And also it's interesting to note that God commanded man to have dominion over the rest of creation. In Genesis 1.28, we read there are a number of commands with verbs. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill up, subdue, rule over. Note that this is not dominion over other human beings. Uh, it's dominion over nature, dominion over potentially 
different projects. I think this is why we all, maybe it's why we like to garden or have pets, I don't know, but uh, we all like to have responsibility. We all like to have something to do. We have challenges that God has given to us. And in that we are created in God's image, we have a purpose in life, every one of us here. God didn't create us because he needed us or he was lonely. He created us uh, for a purpose. He created us for his, for his glory. We were thinking about that a little bit this morning. And we read in uh, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, we read that everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, we read that we who were first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we read, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So this is interesting. It gives each and every one of us, whatever our situation is in life, a purpose. And that purpose is to do what we do as believers in Christ to God's glory. And we can all live to God's glory in whatever our circumstances are. We, you might be in a position in your life where you say, well, my life has gone by. I've, I've blown it. I've, I'm, I'm at a situation where I don't, I don't know what my purpose in life can be. Well, God's saying to you and to me that today I can live for his glory. And God has this here to live in such a way that others will glorify God. It's a very good uh, concept for us to uh, guide our life as believers. I remember once as I, as I was musing on this, my mind went back to uh, before I was married and I was sharing uh, an apartment with, a, with a, another brother in Christ and I wanted to talk to him about something that was a little bit of an issue that we were having and so I, I approached him and he looked at me and he said, sure, I'd love to talk to you as long as it's going to be to the glory of God. <laughs> and it kind of stopped me in my tracks. Now that's a good way of putting it. Yeah the conversation that it would be to the glory of God. So, there's, in a, very quickly, what it means to be made in God's image. There's much more, of course, but we have personhood. We have feelings. We have a will. We have, we're people in God's eyes. We've been created by him, and he's like that. And we can know him and have a relationship with him. That's what we know about God, too, because we also reflect his image. And we'll look more onto that a little bit. But of course, uh, things happen, and uh, we read that sin entered the human race, and this is where the problems came. And when we read uh, the Word of God, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ and all the writers that came after Moses and right down into the New Testament treat this as historical fact, that what Adam, most of you know the story, but it's not a myth. It's a historical fact. Adam disobeyed God, and because of that, sin entered the world. And in John, Jonathan Sarfati, he writes in Genesis 3, Genesis 3 is the most tragic chapter in the whole Bible. Here are all the horrors of the, of the world began. Death, disease, suffering, pain, and worst of all, sin. Satan somehow tempted to use, serpent, use a serpent to tempt Eve. This involved deception and questioning God's words and character. Eve fell into temptation and sin. Then she induced Adam to sin, whether, which he did despite not being deceived. The results were both immediate and ongoing. Adam and Eve realized they were naked and clothed themselves. God questioned them and, they, and pronounced judgment. The serpent would crawl on his belly 
And Satan behind the serpent would, would be destroyed by the coming seed of the woman, by Jesus Christ. This would be the Messiah. Thus, even in God's judgment, there would be a redeemer for man and women. And this chapter has the first example of bloodshed covering sin, when God killed animals to make coats for skin for Adam and Eve. And this would be a type of Messiah shedding his blood for the salvation of all believers. Second, Eve and her female descendants would suffer pains in childbirth. Many would also suffer from the oppressive male headship. But the correct roles in marriage are illustrated in the New Testament by comparing husband and wife to the church and Christ. Third, because of Adam's actions, death and thorns would enter the world. Work would no longer be easy, but painful and sweaty. It's just like throwing a, a gob of paint on a masterpiece, pouring oil into a pristine lake. In fact, it's worse than that. Sin is the reason for all our problems. But thankfully, there is a solution in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll get on to that a little later. So God's image is distorted. Sin entered the world through the human race. But God's image is distorted, but it, uh, it wasn't lost. We read in Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed for in the image of God he made man so even though sin had entered the world in the time of Noah God says that man still carries the image of God and then in James chapter 3 verse 9 we read that with it we bless talking about our tongues we bless our God and our father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God so we're less likely we're less fully like God, but we are still made in the image of God. And um, I have a little illustration here. I have here a $10 bill. I was going to give it to the kid who was the best behaved in the class, but they've all gone. So This $10 bill is worth... It's just a piece of paper, right? I guess it's special paper now, but even if I crumple this $10 bill up and I, I put it you know, in a pot and I put it in ground and get it all dirty, right? Like I'm doing a pretty good job right now, but uh, if, I, if I unfold it and it's all wrinkly, how much is it worth? It's still worth $10, right? Because I haven't been able to destroy it. It's worth $10 because of the image that's on the bill, even though, it's, even though it's in bad shape. I'll just put that in my pocket. So similarly, we've been, the, the, the image of God on us has been distorted and wrinkled and, and dirty, but we're still made in the image of God even though we're sinners. And it's a good thing too because this is what gives us our worth and everyone is precious in God's eyes. We're going to get to that. We also read that um, in, in Genesis 1, 27, 28, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. And we read it as well in Genesis 5, verses 1 to 2. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and blessed them, and called them mankind in the day they were created. So the Bible only knows two genders, male and female. 
Now, in thinking about this and, and recent discussions about gender in our society, it occurred to me, you know, there are a lot of ideas in the Bible and lifestyles in society that are not in accordance with God's will, as revealed in the Bible. I mean, the very fact that in our school system, apparently, they teach that the origin of man is from millions and thousands of years, millions of years, plus chance, is at total odds with the Bible, right? There are a lot of things in, in society, sexual mores and practices that are at odds with the Bible. Our basic goal in life is different than somebody who doesn't know the Lord. So it's not surprising that the world has another idea that the Bible, than the Bible when it comes to gender identity. There are people in our society who promote what is referred to as a non-binary notion of gender, just not just male and female. So there are, there are different gender identities. Gender fluidity is another common term. And people are free to believe and promote whatever their idea they want, just as we are free to promote whatever idea we want too in this great country of ours called Canada. And so it is that we are called as Christians, though, and so as everybody would like to, I would think everybody would say that too, but because we believe that every human being is made in the image of God, all people are valued members of the human family and should be treated with respect, grace, understanding, and love regardless of their opinions and regardless of what their views are on the Bible. So the Bible is very clear on the importance of looking out for the weak and the vulnerable in our society. And Christians are to protect and defend the poor and the weak, even those people who hold different views than we do. In Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4, we read this. Defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. So as we seek to live to the glory of God and resemble his character and purposes, it's important that we do not take advantage of people or of anyone that... Uh, and that we defend the afflicted and the needy, whatever the reason for their need is. There's no place in the Christian's life for hatred, contempt, discrimination towards anyone, including those who have different views and practices than we do in the area of sexual orientation. This comes back to the common rule that we have of conduct, and that is telling the truth in love. So moving on, God's image is restored through salvation in Christ. We have redemption in Christ, and it's a progressive recovery of God's image. We can even in this life progressively grow more and more into the likeness to God. Because of sin, we don't properly represent God as we should and God's indwelling spirit works in us to conform us to the image of his son. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, we read, and this is speaking to Christians, and we've put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we read, but we all with unveiled face, as in a mirror, um, the glory 
beholding as in a mirror the, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as believers, we're to look to the Lord Jesus Christ in his word elsewhere and let the Holy Spirit transform us. This is the Holy Spirit will transform us into from glory to glory into the same image from glory to glory as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the process of somebody who becomes a Christian and it's done by the Spirit of God in our hearts. A lot of people in talking with people about the gospel, uh, even recently, um, <clears throat> a lot of people, I haven't gone out and talked to everybody obviously, but many people who don't know the gospel, they have a notion that uh, when this life is over, if we've done more good than bad, maybe we'll get to heaven, right? Essentially based on my performance. If I've done, if I'm, if I'm an okay guy or not as bad as the other guy, then uh, somehow the, the good Lord will invite me into heaven. But you can't be sure because you never know whether you've done enough good, right? A lot of people think that who don't know the gospel. But the gospel, in fact, is the fact that Christ died for our sins. And I, I like this illustration. It's kind of simple, but it's, um, I think it works. People understand it. If you had three people on the coast of Vancouver and they wanted to go to Japan, and one guy dives into the water and he swims 50 kilometers. That's pretty good. And the second guy, he does 100 kilometers. That's even better. And another guy, he does 200 kilometers. Not too many of us could do that, right? They're, they're very good. But is it enough to get to Japan? No. What do they need? They need an airplane. They need a, they need a boat. They need someone to get them over there. And so it is with us. Uh, we can never do enough good to get ourselves to heaven. God is holy, and we're, sin we're sinners. Just like the can of oil poured in the lake, we're tainted with sin. We can't, through our own works, earn our way to heaven. When we don't want to be on that treadmill anyways. <laughs> we'll never know when we're done. But the good news of salvation is that Christ died for our sins. He's paid the price, and God was satisfied with what he did, and he accepted them and, and raised them from the dead. And if we accept Christ as our Savior, and that's, that's something that happens at a point in time. We're not born Christians. We're not Christians because we live in a so-called Christian country. And uh, we're not Christians by osmosis. We have to become a Christian. And at some point when we recognize that we're a sinner and we need a Savior, and we're honest before God, he'll come into our heart and into our life. And then the Holy Spirit helps us and transforms us. We, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We walk with the Holy Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit who changes us as we gaze on Christ. We looked at this text this morning, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Right? Our eyes are focused on him. And while we do that, he transforms us. And then at Christ's return... Uh, we will be completely transformed into God's image. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 49, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we, all, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So that is a, a wonderful promise that one day we'll be free from sin. One day we'll be, we will resemble Christ. 
We read it again in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed but what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And uh, <clears throat> Psalm 17, just to encourage you to read the Psalms. Psalm 17, let me read this verse for you. It's amazing what we find in the book of the Psalms, written for the most part a thousand years before Christ. Here's David. What does he say in verse 15? As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I, will, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. That's David, a thousand years before Christ. He knew that he was going to see God one day and he'd be transformed. Isn't that interesting? So that's what's waiting for us. So in conclusion, and I have a long conclusion. Don't worry about it. We're not going to let you out too early. Going back to the, uh, I noticed I got your attention when I, when, I pulled up, when I pulled out this $10 bill. So we'll go back and we'll speak a little bit more about some money. The value of a U.S. $100 bill is not based on where it has been or how it has been used. Its value is not determined by its shape, size, or color. That, we know American currency is different than ours because it's all the same color, which confuses us sometimes, right? A $1 bill in American currency is the same shape, size, and color as the $100 bill. If you want to know what the bill is worth, what matters is whose image is on it. George Washington's image tells us that it is a $1 bill we're holding. If we have a bill with the image of Benjamin Franklin, then we know we're holding a $100 bill. How do you determine what you are worth? You need to know whose image you bear. How much is a crisp, clean $100 bill worth? $100 bill, $100. How much is a dirty, crumpled $100 bill worth? $100. Why? The image might be in need of restoration and cleansing, but it's still the same. Brothers and sisters and anybody here who doesn't know the Lord, our basic worth comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God, every one of us. And that uh, means that we should be treating everybody with that respect. And in Christ, that image can be restored. If we uh, go down to uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22, most of you will remember this story. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with their Rodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true. Teach the way of God in truth, do you, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought to him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. He said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So knowing that we are made in the image of God, who do we owe our lives to? We owe, we owe, God, we owe to God our lives, right? Our purpose in life 
is to live for the glory of God in whatever capacity God has given us. We already looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where we're told how we can do this by focusing on the Lord Jesus, and he transforms us. Now, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 115. We get a good illustration of the same principle here in Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Psalm 115, we read this. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Most of us, we were living for our own glory, right? He says, no, give glory to God. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where's, where's their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. So people should know there's a God because we're living for his glory. It's in passing. But here's what's interesting here. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feel they have, but they do not walk. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. There's an interesting truth here, and that is who, whatever it is we worship, we become like what we worship. So if we worship money, we're going to become like people who love money. If we worship sport, we're going to become, we're going to take those values to be our basic values. If we worship the arts, the same. Whatever we worship, we're going to end up resembling what we worship. And God invites us as believers and every, everybody to worship the Lord Jesus and as we gaze on him and worship him and pattern our life after him through God's grace, we'll resemble him. And that's what he wants for us. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. First of all, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5. Because uh, we, have, we have some newlyweds in our audience today, our relative newlyweds. So here's, uh, here's a word for the newlyweds. We weren't able to be at your wedding, but here, here we are. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? So how did Christ love the church? In Luke chapter 23, we read from verse... 33 onwards. When they had come to the place called Calvary, they were there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided their garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the, even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him let him save himself, for if he is the Christ chosen of God. 
And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So just keeping this holy text in proportion, God has asked husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, he went to the cross and died on the church. And here's the, here's the question we can ask ourselves. Um, and I say this very reverently and I say this respectfully. Uh, this was not an enjoyable thing for Christ to have to do. He did it out of sheer obedience, right? There's no thrill for him to do this. It wasn't exciting, wasn't interesting. It was very painful and very excruciating, but he did it out of obedience. And they taunted him and they said, save yourself, you don't have to go through this misery, this, this uh, hardship. Come down off the cross, flex your muscles, show us who you are. But he didn't do it, did he? He, through love, he stayed the course. He didn't flinch. He committed to what he was going to do, had said he was going to do. And this uh, was a demonstration of the character of Christ and the character of God. What is the image of God like? What does God want to reproduce in us, in all of us, men and women? He wants to reproduce in us the love of God as we see, as we saw on the cross. But as we often talk about, there's love and there's truth. Why did Christ have to go to the cross? Because he had to die for our sins, because God was judging him. Why would, a, why would a God punish his own son? Right? Be out of love for us. Christ died on the cross to satisfy the justice of God. And so it is, keeping things in proportion, that we as, as uh, married people, and even those who aren't married, there are things that God asks us to do. In marriage, I've been married 42, 43 years, I forget. Uh, most of the time it's quite exciting, it's very great, but there are some times when it's, when it's difficult. Sometimes when it's hard, and sometimes you feel like just leaving. Why don't, why, do, why don't we leave? Because God says, this is what you are to do. We obey. My kids went to a summer camp once, and they had a song, and I kind of liked it. It was about the food. Sometimes kids don't like food, right? Certain food. And they, they had a song at the, at the dinner table. You don't have to like it. You just have to eat it. <laughs> And, and so it is in marriage and in all our commitments. It's not always excitement and thrills. Sometimes it's difficult, right? But love in the Bible is a command. It's not a feeling. Feelings come, feelings go. But love in the Bible is a command. Do it. And when we, when we do it, guess what? The feelings do come. And when there's hard times in marriage, and there always will be, I think everybody, every married person here today will say, yes, there's been a, there, there are hard times. But guess what? When you, by the grace of God, when we hang in there and do the right thing, the good feelings will come back. And uh, so <clears throat> may God help us to reflect the image of God in all that we do. And the image of God is love, which is a command, goes beyond our feelings, and it's truth. And often we talk about uh, telling the truth in love. 
There's the two sides of the coin. And this is the great image of God that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. He loves us and wants all of us to be saved and to know we're going to heaven. And he wants every one of us to live in a way that reflects his glory. And what is that? It's demonstrating love, biblical love, and demonstrating truth. May God bless his word to our hearts. Our blessed God and Heavenly Father, we're thankful today. We're thankful for the love of God that we've experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the help of the Holy Spirit who helps us to live these things because otherwise we wouldn't be able to do it on our own strength. We're thankful, Father, that your love was not a shallow love. Your love was uh, a love that uh, enjoyed the good times but was there in the bad times, there in the hard times. And we see this on the cross as Christ suffered and died for us. Wasn't, uh, there was no, no joy. The only joy that he had was the joy that was set before him. He realized that it wouldn't last forever. And so, Father, we, we thank you for his example, and we pray that by your grace we might live and reflect the image of Christ in our lives. Bless your word to our hearts and our Savior's precious name. Amen.